Morning, everyone. Great to see you. Uh, my name is Gavin, and I'm assistant to Jono, and I oversee our Gregory Hills Anglican congregation, which is my great uh, joy and privilege. And I've got my Gregory Hills Anglican green shirt on this morning to fly the flag. I've got another Gregory Hills Anglican green shirt that's long sleeve as well that I wear uh, sometimes. And we had um, a four hour and three minutes parish council meeting last night at Jono's house, including dinner, which was great. And it was such a blessing to jump in the helicopter together and go, we didn't actually have a helicopter, this is a metaphor. It was great to jump in the helicopter together and go up and just have a look at what's happening across the whole parish, across the three congregations, across Herringham Park, Herringham Grove, Gregory Hills, Gledswood Hills and surrounding, and think about how we're working together as one parish, as three congregations, to see the lost saved and the saved grow in maturity as followers of Jesus. And I, I just really enjoy getting together with um, people from Harrington Park and Night Church and talking about those things. It's a blessing to be one parish and three congregations working together. It's great. It's a blessing to be three separate congregations doing our own thing most of the time uh, as well. And I want to say thank you, Harrington Park Anglican Church, on behalf of Gregory Hills Anglican Church for your support and love and prayers and giving uh, over the last three and a half years or so. Uh, at the moment, we still don't quite uh, sustain ourselves financially. We're still dependent on um, kind of mum and dad, in a sense, uh, to support us financially. But we're getting close to being self-supporting as a congregation, which is good and right and fantastic. And we're looking forward to continuing working together. And um, there's some exciting things happening in the next 12 months, which I'm looking forward to. I'm going to pray, and I'll ask you to keep Revelation 11 uh, open for your own benefit. And uh, there's also a handout with an outline in it. The first item on the agenda there is KFC belly. What's that all about? Um, you can take notes if you want or just follow along. If you've got questions from my sermon, uh, fill out the communication card with your email and name on the front and your question on the back, and I'll email you through the week to the best of my ability. Let's pray. Loving Father and Almighty God, we cannot possibly understand your word without your help. So work in us, Lord, by your Holy Spirit now. Help us to put aside distractions in our mind and focus wholly and solely on your word for this next little while. Your word is life. Your word is bread. Your word is salvation. Your word is truth. So, Lord, now as we come to it, may we take it seriously. May we listen carefully. And work in us by your Holy Spirit to put it into action in our own lives, in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. Uh, how good is KFC? The packaging says it uh, right there. Oh, how do I go back, Jono? There. Good. How good's KFC? It says it. So good. According to the packaging, KFC is uh, so good. Dean Stanley uh, is my SEEK coordinator, so Dean's responsibility at Gregory Hills Anglican is to make sure that we as individuals and a church are getting out there and connecting with the lost, connecting with people who don't yet trust in Jesus. So that's what he does. Uh, he oversees that part of our ministry. He's our SEEK coordinator. And every six or eight weeks, Dean and I catch up uh, together to chat about ministry and we enjoy a KFC Zinger box uh, together. And uh, when I kind of you know, saunter over to him at morning tea and say, Dean, it's probably about time that we're caught up. He gets a little wry smile in his mouth, and I get a little wry smile in our mouth because we know we're going to have a zinger box. <laughs> and we're so excited about it. It's like a kid in a lolly shop or a man in Bunnings 
or me in Golf Mart, that goofy little smile, you're about to get something you really enjoy. A little bit of excitement uh, that we're going to eat too much KFC and it's going to be great. How good is it going to be? So good. That's right. That's right. I love the taste of KFC. I don't know if you do too. Perhaps you don't. It's so good, right up to the point that it hits the back of your throat. And then it's just devastating for the rest of your body. Literally, the only part of my body that benefits from KFC is my taste buds. And the rest of it, it's just terrible. There's no longer anything good about it. I'm sure that even the protein in the chicken dies a gruesome death as it's saturated in fat and can't possibly survive under the weight. You always regret, it, regret eating it the next morning when you have KFC, which is worse than barley belly. And I won't get into how much you regret it later on. It's gross. But none of that will stop me from going back again <laughs> and having some more. Now, to draw what might seem to be a very tenuous link to our passage today, and it is, uh, John has a similar experience to the old KFC belly at the end of chapter 10 of Revelation. If you see there in uh, verse 8, God says to John, go take the scroll that's been given to him, Take the scroll that lies open in the hand of the angel, and verse 9, eat it. In your mouth it will be as sweet, as sweet as honey, but in your stomach it will turn sour like lemons. John took the scroll, he ate it as, he, as was commanded. Indeed it was sweet in his mouth, and indeed it was sour and gross and sickly in his stomach. It turned his stomach uh, this scroll, and he's told what he has to do with the scroll. Have a look. Uh, verse 11, he must prophesy again about my people's nations, languages, and kings. People's nations, languages, and kings. That's a long-winded way of saying he must preach this to the world, this message that's written on this scroll. The scroll is God's word. It's given to him by God, and John is to announce, pronounce God's word upon the world. And that's mainly what chapters 8 to 11 are all about, God's word pronounced, God's word of judgment pronounced upon the world, a world that's turned against him and turned against his word and rejected uh, his word. In the first three chapters of Revelation, we saw the church warned against falling away from God's word. The church was promised that God was coming as Lord and judge, so they should stay true to God lest they be judged as well. And over the next four chapters, right up until chapter 10, really there's a kind of a cycle or a pattern of God warning his church to stay strong, promising suffering to his church even, and then promising judgment upon the world who's turned against him. So that's the cycle. And the major theme is God's people's suffering. And this chapter, chapter 11, is mostly about God's judgment on the people of the world who are rebelling against him. So John, who loves God, he, listened, he listened, has listened to God's word, he continues to do it. His words taste sweet. God's word's sweet to John in his mouth, it's sweet to his ears. He loves God, he loves his word, but when he digests it, for some reason, it turns sour in his stomach. It feels sickly in his stomach. And the reason is that John knows that his job is to declare God's word, which is a message of both salvation but also judgment. 
He has to preach that to the world and he knows that some people will reject it and he knows what the fate of those who reject it is. God's wrath, the wrath of Jesus, the one out of whom, whose mouth comes the double-edged sword. His wrath is what faces those who don't believe and John knows that some won't. Now think about it. As a Christian, when you first discovered that Jesus died for your sins, I remember it as an 18-year-old. When you first discover that Jesus died for your sins, that he rose again, that he promises forgiveness, and you put your trust in him, it was the best news you'd ever heard, the best day of your life. It tasted so sweet to know for the first time that you were saved, that your sins were forgiven, that heaven was yours. How happy are those people who receive forgiveness from God through Jesus? How happy they are. How happy we are. We have forgiveness from God through Jesus. What a blessing. Now, in time, you realise that that same news to you that means salvation also declares that those who reject Jesus are condemned. And you start to think, what about my family members? who don't trust in Jesus, which I have? What about my good friends who don't trust in Jesus, which I have? What about my neighbours two doors up and across the road and next door who are good friends of ours who don't trust in Jesus? And that sweet news in your mouth feels a bit sickly in your stomach, doesn't it? Because you know what they face. You know that they're condemned when you realise that those you love who haven't put their trust in Jesus are condemned, you feel a bit sick. So friends, we must keep on trying to tell our friends and our family and our neighbours who don't yet trust in Jesus about Jesus, don't we? We need to keep on praying for them. Keep praying for them because we know what faces them if they don't put their trust in Jesus. Keep praying for them. Keep doing anything you possibly can, and it will look different for each and every one of you. Evangelism looks different for each and every one of you. Do everything you can, humanly speaking, to share the gospel with them. Now, this is the first time in Revelation that John isn't just listening to God's word, but he's given something to do. Uh, Not only does he prophesy, but look at chapter 11, verse 1. He has to measure the temple of God. Uh, So the start of chapter 11 is all about two things. Firstly, it's about people going out into the world to explain the gospel. It's about people going out to explain the gospel and it's about those people who've gone out being killed once they've explained the gospel. Now, this section, this, the beginning of chapter 11, shows us why the prosperity gospel, which teaches us that if we trust Jesus, we'll be wealthy and comfortable, is wrong and misleading and a heresy Let me show you why, but before I do, note that in chapter 11 there are literally dozens of Old Testament allusions, dozens of allusions in these first 10 verses. I'd love to go through them all, but I haven't got that much time with you. Get your hands on a Bible that has cross-references down the side, like mine, and if you can't, get on BibleGateway.com, BibleGateway.com, which has the cross-references there, and check out where all this is coming from and gathered together in Revelation 11. It's so cool. Feel free to ask me questions on your connect card, your communication card as well. I'd love to chat more about Revelation later. 
I'd love to chat about the dozen or so possibilities for the two witnesses in verse 3, the biblical significance of sackcloth and lampstands and fire breathing, the abyss and Sodom and Egypt and all that kind of stuff. I can't get into all of it now, today. What I want to do this morning is give you the big picture of what's going on in Revelation, which is what we've been doing the whole time. So verse 1, look with me. I was given a reed like a measuring rod and I was told, go and measure the temple of God and the altar with its worshippers. John's given this some measuring device, told to measure the temple and the altar and the worshippers, but not, verse 2, the outer court, because it's been given over to the Gentiles. Now, in a vision like the one John is having, you can kind of move between the heavenly realm and the earthly realm somewhat freely, depending on God wants you to see. In other parts of Revelation, John's clearly seeing heavenly things. Here, though, he's told the Gentiles, the non-Christians, have been given the outer courts. So we're operating in the earthly realm. He's told to measure the temple, the altar, and the worshippers. Which temple is God talking about? Is he talking about the physical temple in Jerusalem and its altar? Well, no, I don't think so. How do you measure worshippers with a measuring tape? If they've just eaten lots of KFC, they might be insulted if you try to measure them with a measuring tape. Is that what I mean? No. I think, um, I think what it means is John is to measure God's global church. And we're talking in a spiritual sense. God's kingdom, his church, is much more a spiritual reality at the moment than it is a physical reality. God promises a physical experience of life with him after Jesus returns in judgment when the resurrection of the dead will be raised. But right now, God's people dwell with him spiritually. God's kingdom is much more a spiritual reality now than it is a physical reality. We dwell with God spiritually now. Did you know? 1 Corinthians 3.16 says, Don't you know? You yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person for God's temple is sacred and you together are that temple. God's altar are his people's acts of sacrifice done in the body. The worshippers are God's people gathered to honour and praise him. John is measuring a spiritual reality, God's church, dwelling here on earth but spiritually Seated in the heavenly realms. Though you sit in Harrington Park Public School Hall, Ephesians 2.6 makes it clear, spiritually, you're not here. God has already, past tense, raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Physically, we're here. Spiritually, we're there with God already. So John is called to measure God's church, his spiritual church. Is it a comfort to you to know that you are safe with Christ right now if your trust is in him? Spiritually, you're with him now, waiting for your body to catch up, in a sense. And that's why we can take confidence and comfort in Christ's death, resurrection and ascension. And why it's stupid to think that God's will for us is comfort and material prosperity in this world. It's a stupid idea. Spiritually, we're seated with him in the heavenly realms. That's where the comfort will come. Not yet. Revelation 11 tells us that God himself has handed his world over to the Gentiles for a time. This is really important teaching 
for us who are very, very wealthy by a world standard. If you own a house and two cars, you're top 1% of the wealthiest people on the planet. Top 1% of the wealthiest people on the planet. So we can get so caught up in our material wealth, so caught up in thinking that's what life's all about. God says here in Revelation 11 that this material world, this physical stuff, has been handed over to the Gentiles for a time. Look at verse 2. The Gentiles will trample the city for 42 months and God will appoint his two witnesses who will prophesy clothed in sackcloth also for 42 months, 1260 days, same thing. Now, it's not saying exactly 42 months. There's all sorts of fun theories about where 42 months comes from. The point is, temporarily, the Gentiles have, the the non-Christians have a reign, a rule over God's world. Those who reject Jesus will have, do have, a certain amount of freedom and rule in this world, don't they? For a time, and that makes life difficult for God's people, doesn't it? Watch the news. You'll see Nigerian, Syrian, Iraqi, Iranian Christians kicked out of their houses, at worst killed for their faith. Christians driven from their homes in brutal fashion. You'll see Chinese Christians who are hiding in underground churches in caves to meet. because That's the only safe way to do it. Do you know that there's, I was on Facebook recently, there's, Chinese Christians in the thousands memorising the Bible because they know the day will come when their Bible gets confiscated, but they can't confiscate their memory. So they're memorising God's word. I'm embarrassed about the amount of time I pick up the Bible I can legally have. When these guys are memorising their Bibles cover to cover because that can't be stolen from them. And that's reality for Christians in our world. We live in a bit of a... A false reality, honestly, in our material comfort and our Christian safety that we have in Sydney. It's a blessing, but we mustn't take it for granted. It's not prosperity when you're kicked out of your house, when you're killed for following Jesus, when your Bible's confiscated, when you hide in a cave. That's not prosperity. Prosperity is to come in the next life. In this life, God teaches we have suffering, hardship, tribulation, Revelation says, that's reality. And less brutally, but no less a sign that unbelievers are trampling the earth, is our local debate about religious freedoms. We're currently debating whether or not we should have freedom of religion in our city. Can you believe it? Can you believe it? 30 years ago, impossible. Today, here we are. If you want to stand up in the public square and declare that God is good and Jesus is Lord, you could be sacked from your job. Can you believe it? Here we are. The Gentiles of Sydney are endeavouring to remove the right of Christians to speak freely. And we must lovingly oppose them wherever we can for the sake of the gospel and for the sake of all people. What follows quickly on the heels of losing freedom of religion is losing freedom of speech, which is bad for all. So as Christians, we must stand up, we must have a voice lovingly and oppose those who are trying to take away freedom of religion. And good on Izzy. Would I have done it the same way? I don't know. But good on him for having a voice and for those who are standing with him 
in the fight to have a voice in the public sphere. The Gentiles, as promised, are trampling the world. And the Christians are suffering as a result. But, but, God's in control. And two witnesses come. It's probably 20 different theories on who they are exactly. Um, but two witnesses come. We'll talk about more later to me in morning tea, uh, who we think they are. Um, Zechariah's great for thinking about the two witnesses. The point is, the big idea here is God's words being preached. God makes sure that despite the opposition, despite the rebellion, his words preached into that rebellion throughout the world. And here's a little test to make sure you're still focused. Why would the two witnesses be clothed in sackcloth? What does sackcloth represent? Yell it out. Mourning, that's right. Sadness, mourning, usually over death. Back to our KFC belly. The witnesses, like John, have a message of judgment from God upon the world which has turned against them. They're in mourning. They know they're under God's wrath. They feel bitter about it in their stomachs. They've got judgment belly. They know what is coming for the unrepentant. Okay, what about olive trees and lampstands? What comes from olive trees? Olives. What comes from olives? Olive oil. What does oil have to do with lampstands? Sorry? It's fuel for them. Yeah, right. The oil is the fuel for the lampstand. Okay? So... uh, Often, I'll read it again for you. Um, Verse 4, verse 3. I'll appoint my two witnesses. They'll prophesy for 1260 days, 42 months, clothed in sackcloth, in mourning. They are the two olive trees and the two lampstands, and they stand before the Lord of the earth. Um, So from the olive trees comes olive oil, ultimately, to fuel the lampstands. So Zechariah, we learn that... God's people are like lampstands in the world, shedding forth his light, and the Holy Spirit is like the oil, the fuel for the lampstand. It's fueled by the Holy Spirit are God's representatives, these two witnesses uh, in the world. God's witnesses who were Moses and the prophets and then Jesus' apostles in the past, and now you are God's witnesses in the world. Through the centuries, God's witnesses have roamed the earth despite opposition, roamed the Roman Empire, roamed Asia and Africa and the Americas and took God's word out into the world, roamed Australia, beginning with Richard Johnson, who came on the first fleet, and they continue to roam the MacArthur District, or Norellan Town Centre and Max Square and Harrington Park and Gregory Hills. So they roam, these witnesses of God. Who are you and me? Roam the earth, telling the people the good news that God wants to rescue them if they'll just turn from their sin and turn back to him. They bring the sweet taste of forgiveness, which tastes like honey. And that same news is bad news if they won't turn from their sins. Because judgment comes and eternal condemnation. And so as we bring this sweet news, we have this sickly feeling in our bellies because we know some will reject the good news. But this message cannot be stopped and it hasn't been stopped over the ages and it will not be stopped because God is sending forth his messengers 
into the world. Anti-freedom of religion laws will not stop the gospel going forth. Taking away Chinese Christians' Bibles will not stop the gospel going forth. They'll just memorize it. It's not a problem. We'll memorize it. It's all good. God is in control of his message going forward. Look at verse 5. If anyone tries to harm the witnesses, fire comes out of their mouths and devours them. Again, not literal. You guys can't actually breathe fire. I'm glad of that. For Unite Youth could be really, you know, an OH&S issue if all the Christian youth could breathe fire. Ben would really have his hands full. But it's not literal. Um, God is ensuring, God himself is ensuring that the preaching of the word is not hindered ultimately. Here and there, yes, ultimately, no. Get on Bible Gateway and check out Fire Consumes. It happens all the time in the Old Testament. It's really cool. These witnesses can breathe fire, shut up the sky, turn water to blood, strike plagues. Some Old Testament allusions there, I'm sure, if you can think of it. But tell me, looking again for audience participation, what happens to the two? Once, what happens to the witnesses once they've finished their testimony? Verse 7. What happens? And what does he do? He devours them. The beast from the abyss overpowers and kills them. And not just any old beast, Satan himself. The traditional realm of evil is the abyss. And there's permission there from God to overcome and kill the witnesses of God. And isn't that true? The last hundred years in particular, thousands, millions of Christians killed for preaching the gospel overpowered by the beast who comes from the abyss throughout history and still today. But they never, ever, ever, ever die before God, before they say what God wants them to say. Once they've proclaimed the message that God wants them to proclaim, then he allows them to die. They then lie dead in the world for all to see and gloat over. Ha <laughs> ha, look at these stupid Christians who thought they could outsmart us and we've killed them. Look at verse 9 and 10. For three and a half days, many from every people, tribe, language and nation will gaze on their bodies and refuse them burial. The ultimate insult to a Jew is to refuse them burial straight away. The inhabitants of the earth will gloat over them and will celebrate by sending each other gifts because these two prophets had tormented those who live on the earth by trying to preach them the gospel. Verse 8 reminds us that our Lord Jesus too was killed by the Gentiles in very public fashion. And the rulers of our world at the time gloated and enjoyed what they thought was a victory for about three days. Satan gloated and enjoyed what he thought was a victory over God for a few days there. But it was temporary. Can you imagine being there the day when Jesus was crucified as one of his people? Imagine being there. Put yourself there. If you were there, you'd remember it if like it was yesterday, even if it was 30 years ago. The pain and anguish on Jesus' face as he carried the cross through the streets and as he was mocked and spat on and ridiculed, how you wanted to help him but the centurions just wouldn't allow it. You heard the rumours that he taught his disciples that after three days he would rise and you wanted to believe that, but man, the whole world was against him. 
Surely this is it for this guy and there's no coming back. The disciples couldn't believe he was going to come back. They were terrified. Some of them just gave up and went back to fishing. But then he rose again in glory. It was hard for them to believe. I wonder, as you go to school, as you go to uni, as you go to work, as you go back home, do you sometimes find it's all just a bit too hard to believe? You think it's great, but it's hard to believe down in your gut sometimes that Jesus is risen, that God is God, that you are safe, seated in the heavenly realms because the world is against us and the world seems to be winning. But this is part of God's plan. He is in control. Jesus is risen. If we truly believe these things, there's actually no real cause for any anxiety at all. Now, I say that as someone who suffers anxiety from time to time. If I am literally seated in the heavenly realms, what do I have to fear? What do you have to fear? We need not even fear death. That's just our body catching up with our soul. But we struggle, our sinful, broken brains. We forget, we doubt. And so we must keep coming back to God's word, being reminded, yes, God is good. Yes, he's in control, even over evil. Any power that evil has, any power that Satan has, is only because God allows it. Revelation is such a blessing, this God's eye view of the world. Yes, we're increasingly being marginalised in society. Why? Because God allows it. Yes, Christians are killed throughout the world. Why? Only because God allows it. In his infinite sovereign wisdom, he allows it. He has not lost control, brothers and sisters. Be confident. Be of good cheer. God is in control, working mightily through his witnesses. And when they've said what he wants them to say, sometimes they die, yes. God works powerfully through you when you live a godly life. When you do your best to preach the gospel, whatever that looks like to your neighbour, to your colleague, to your friend, to your family member, God works through you, his witness in the world works mightily through you so that in the face of persecution in the workplace, when they're getting together and they're saying, Christians, you're idiots, you're an idiot. You don't take a backward step because you know God's in control, even then, of that situation. And God is pleased when you tell others about his mighty grace, one through his glorious son. Be of good cheer, brothers and sisters. The Gentiles have some power, but not ultimate power. Satan has some power, but not ultimate power. He will be judged. He will sit under the wrath of the Lamb and be judged eternally. So we have this golden opportunity in the world to share the gospel and show forth the love of Christ into the world. I'm going to leave it there. Take that opportunity in the world. Heed the warning. If you haven't yet put your trust in Jesus, heed the warning. And brothers and sisters, take comfort in your own suffering and in the suffering of Christians around the world, knowing it is part of God's plan and that he is with you in it. Let me pray. Gracious Lord and Heavenly Father, your power is beyond our reckoning, way beyond our reckoning. 
You created the universe with a word. We are so very, very small. You are so very, very big. And we can feel like the world is against, uh, we feel like the world has beaten you, which is ridiculous. You're so powerful. And Lord, you're so good. And though we are so small, we are loved by you, known by you through Christ. Christ died for us, each individual. And Lord, we thank you for bringing us together here, Harrington Park Anglican Church, and pray, Lord, that you work in us by your Holy Spirit to live godly lives. Help us to remember we're not on our own in this. We're together. We're a church. We have brothers and sisters beside us and around us and help us to work together, support one another, encourage one another, pray for one another as we stand against this world that is in rebellion to you. We know it pleases you. And Lord, we're not always particularly articulate with the gospel. So help us. Help us to share the gospel any way we can, any way we know how that some might be saved, that they might know the bitter, the sweet taste of the gospel in their mouths. In Jesus' name, amen.